0: Uh, I'm devastated. I can't. I'm going to start crying right now. I don't even think I can talk about it. But then every week it got better. So, whether it's holding your own awkward, whether it's dealing with something else, 99.9 percent of the time somebody else has gone through the same thing. So you're not alone. And what I offer is number one to make sure that you just get have support people around you that can help you to see that and you know make sure that they're the kind of people that would lift you up like the rising tide all boats and then welcome back to the own your awkward
1: podcast i'm your host andy vargo and every episode we get into what has made our guests vulnerable and how they've learned how to own their awkward in order to live their best life stay tuned so you can hear every awkward moment in today's show Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Own Your Awkward Podcast. I am super excited today. We have got one of my newest friends who I just met as another local speaker here in the Northwest, David George Brooks, the attitude, the gratitude guy, excuse me, the
0: gratitude guy. David, how are you today? I am well, Andy. It's always great to meet new people. You and I connected and hit it off immediately. And I think we even talked a little bit about how on Zoom, it's so funny you meet people. And most of it, it's pretty good. But you either really like the person or you, you think this is going to be not the most fun. But I just thought, oh, I love this Andy guy. How did I get lucky to meet him? So it's great to be here. Definitely.
1: And I, I just am so grateful for the community of people that I'm surrounded by. And there's been a couple of times where there have been these surprise people that I have met locally. You know, I'm in Tacoma. You're in in Seattle. We're half an hour apart. And yet, you know, Ruben down in Texas introduced us. Yeah. And uh, shout out to Ruben Schwartz with Mem- Memeron and his business for putting us together because he's so, so good at at having quality people in his circle. No, too. It's,
0: it's really neat. And I was talking to my son earlier about how we forget, of course, with Zoom it's become so part, much part of our lives. But I'll think now, where are you? Oh, you're in Massachusetts. You're in Georgia. I got a couple of people in, in Great Britain, another friend in Australia. I mean, it's just amazing what this technology has done, because even though you and I are 30 miles apart. It feels like we're on Zoom. We're like having a cup of coffee, and we're here. We are at Starbucks, and it's just—it's such a neat technology. Oh, it's great.
1: We have to—we have to be able to take technology and use it, you know, as best as we can. And be like, you know, what this will allow us to connect more, and then not have it replace the chance that we're still going to get together and connect in person pretty soon. Exactly. And have it enhance that and not replace it. Exactly. Exactly. So, David, uh, I like to ask my guests at the beginning. There's so much going on in the world, and we're seeing all sorts of stuff out there. And I'd like to know kind of from where you sit and what you have going on. And I just think this is a perfect question for you as a gratitude guy. What's the most positive thing you see happening right now in the world?
0: Well, I think that the term that I use around, I call it an attitude of gratitude and the gratitude mindset. But it's really people looking and employing really healthy coping mechanisms, because it is stressful. I mean, you and I, were you can see we're already pretty positive guys. Well, another reason why we connected so easily. But I think it'd be so easy to go down the negative path of the economy and the presidential thing and the Congress and drugs and guns and violence. I mean, you could go down and cover all those things and you'd have no reason to smile, much less be ever positive and things. So I think what I enjoy so much when I started speaking about 10 years ago, and became that gratitude guy, I just thought, you know, what's neat about this is it appeals to everybody, young and old, you know, heavier, thin, Mm -hmm. you know, smart or not so smart or whatever you want to call it, black, white, brown. I mean, it doesn't matter because I've spoken all the way from junior high schools to senior centers where the average age was 15 up to 95. And everybody could use a dose of gratitude and an attitude of gratitude, as I call it. And so I think the thing that encourages me the most is there's people that are looking for different ways to cope and as i tell them when you get a gratitude mindset and i'll talk a little later about a gratitude journal and you start writing just 5 minutes every day everything you're grateful for it plants it in your brain and it just gives you this really really strong teflon or armor if you will to fight off as i call it the negative gamma rays of life and they're right. they're, they're hitting us all from all directions all the time so i'm just excited that people have employed it as a way to really cope effectively you know what, one thing that
1: really struck me when you started out down that train of thought, when you said positive coping mechanisms, because whenever I hear coping mechanisms, my, my brain shifts to all the unhealthy things we do to cope. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I forget, we need to cope, we have so much on our plates, we need to do that. And so it's okay to have coping mechanisms, but let's choose for those to be positive. And that's obviously like you're you're talking about with gratitude, that is such a positive way to cope and get through and keep our mindset.
0: Well, and that's a great point. And I think I've said this before, and as you've heard this before too, but life, if you really look at it, whether it's David or Andy or anybody that's listening, is really like a roller coaster. Not all days are good days. There's gonna be the highs and the lows and our whole life. And depending on how long we've been on the planet, you're gonna have more highs and more lows. But what's so interesting about it, gratitude can help you when you're low to get back where you're in your high. But when you're high, everything's great. As I always like to say, everybody returns your phone calls. Everybody gets back to you on emails, you know, and it's all this perfect world. But when you're low... That's where you learn the lessons and that's where you really get the best training about understanding how to cope. And so it's just knowing that it's going to be up and down. It's not really realistic to think every day is going to be a great day. So if you have a great day, incredible. But if you don't, what do you do? And that's where the coping mechanism comes on on the days that aren't so good. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And and it's critical that you develop them when you're in the right mindset because you Mm -hmm. need it in place or on the shelf so you can pull it down when those days are bad. You need to have already put your disaster plan in place. You know, I, I like to think about when the power goes out and it's dark, if you're scrounging around looking for a flashlight and batteries and all the things aren't in the right places, that's really hard to do versus if you, if the lights go out and it's dark and you say, I know which drawer to go to, I might trip on a couple of things or stub my toe on the way there, but the supplies are there.
0: That, that's a great analogy. And uh, I really like that because it is have it at the ready, as you say, on, in the drawer, on the shelf or what have you. The other thing that it's really occurred to me on, on this many days on the planet is that uh, I just have really come to understand that people, one of the reasons that drugs and alcohol and all these negative things that kill people are so prevalent is because people are looking for a way to, to numb their pain. And, and a lot of people don't have a a better way to do it. I mean, one of the classic examples is you should exercise every day. And I've had people say, people say, I don't want to exercise. I'd rather go smoke a joint or something. And so I definitely get it. And my wife, unfortunately passed away of a prescription pill overdose when she was 38 and my boys were four and 14. And one of the things that propelled me down this course of getting how to to focus on what my blessings were. But I mean, she got hooked on them and she couldn't get off of And She went into treatment two or three times and then eventually passed away, as I say, at 38. But I've looked at addiction and so many of the other sort of negative uh, lifestyles in a much different light now because some people just don't have the strength or the wherewithal or something to do the things that are healthy. And I don't have five minutes to write in a gratitude journal today or something like that. And I understand that. So I've become a lot more empathetic to people that don't have the mindset that, that frankly, maybe a David or an Andy do, which is which is how to get to access that box on the shelf.
1: Right, and, and first of all, I just want to acknowledge that that had to be so tough to go through. And I'm so sorry. Oh, thank that. you. I mean, clearly you have, you know, developed past that, but I'm, you know, that could thank not you. have been easy. Yeah, and yeah. I just, I think that, like you said, there's like, people who don't see the importance of having that in place. And I think you know I know of times where it's like that idea of going for a walk and do I have time to go for a walk? Well, do I do I have time for the treatment if I'm not keeping my body healthy? It's like Mm -hmm. if I'm not this five minutes now could you know is time that's going to be forced on me later? Or you know can you afford to go to the doctor? Well, can you afford not to? If if you know you're not going to have a choice once you have the the ailment that you could have avoided. Not that everything is completely avoidable,
0: but well, and I think too like anything I love one of my words I love is discipline. And, and what is it that gives Andy discipline or what is it about David that I walk eight miles every single day? I just, it's just part of my deal. It's about 50 to 60 miles a week. And I just always carve out two hours, listen to podcasts that we're on, uh, listen to audible books and things. And, um, people that know me, I say, I listen on at 2.5 speed and they go, what is wrong with you? And I, say, <laughs> I like it that fast. I can understand it, but, but we know how important exercise is. And I tell people there's these elements, you know, ex- daily exercise, get your sleep, drink your water, write in a gratitude journal, do your stretching, do some meditation, hang out with positive people, listen to positive podcasts and things. But I just, again, at this age and looking back and I've, i in my career, I managed a lot of people and I just, to be quite honest, was disappointed by how many people just didn't have the motivation. Mm-hmm. And it was just and again, it was just easier to go get drunk or go get stoned or or do whatever versus do some of these other things. And I used to be kind of mad about it, and now I'm just empathetic and I think that must be challenging
1: well I, I think I, I think there's some compassion that you definitely have in that you know it's too bad they're not in that place or you know we can't there, there's an element of one you can't save everybody. you know, I know I have people in my life who they see you doing positive things and people will say things like, oh, that's so great. I wish I could do that. I wish I could be that person. And and it's like, I don't know how to tell you what to do other than these are the things that I do and this is what works for me. But if you can choose to change certain habits, you can change your life, but you have to want it bad enough. And for me, it's come from being in a really tough place where I had no choice. It's like, yeah. well, I was like, well, my life is either going to be miserable and like this, or I'm going to put some things in place and be able to actually make today a little better than yesterday. It's not going to be tremendously different overnight, but very quickly, life got a lot better as soon as I started
0: being grateful and, and being aware of what I had control well, of. Well, and that comes back to something that I think is really critical is, and I've even said this about when I think the most important skill when you're raising children, I have my two sons that were four and 14 when Dana passed away. They're now 38 and 30 and 28. My 38-year-old just turned 39. My 28-year-old is going to turn 29 in two or three weeks. And uh, I call them my rock star sons. They're just my most phenomenal sons. But I think managing people and raising children both require the same skill. The number one skill, there's many skills necessary, but the number one skill I contend is setting a good example. Mm -hmm. So again, whether it's Andy or David, we see these people. They're not doing it. What's the best thing you can do? Set the absolute best example you can, and hopefully they will follow it. And I know you've heard the old thing about do as I as I do, not as I say. And as I manage people, both at Nordstrom and those big stores and Lowe's, a lot of employees, I got to see a lot of different personality types, but the best technique of all is they'd watch how hard I worked and I got it. I came in early, stayed late, you know, picked up all the boxes, picked up the trash, even though I'm the big store manager, did everything. And it worked really well because a lot of people will follow you when you're setting a good example. So I see that as you doing the same thing.
1: Yeah, I learned that I was I was in management and retail as well, and the the one rule that I learned was don't do anything that your employees don't ask your employees to do anything that they don't see you yeah, doing. You exactly. know, if they see me scrubbing the floor, cleaning the bathrooms when they need to be done. They're not going to be bothered when I say, "Hey, can someone clean the bathroom? Can someone do this? This is what we need to get done." because they know you're not above it and it, it's that's such
0: that's just such a great example and i think also i, I think i can really literally like yesterday I remember the conversation with this guy this just shows you how backwards people can be and he's run, managing one of the departments at nordstrom and he says i told him to do all this stuff and i went to the espresso bar and had coffee oh. and I said, do you understand yeah. why that's not working really well but he goes yeah. i'm the manager i can do right. what i want I yeah said, i guess how's that working for you yeah right so. You're not yeah, can you, you can
1: choose to do whatever you want, <laughs> but you're not going to get results. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's so, awesome. funny. Funny. Well, David, we got to put you on the spot now and ask you, what's your awkward thing you've had to own in order to get to this place that you're at?
0: Oh, gosh. Great question. I was I was very fortunate that the speaking thing never bothered me. A lot of people say that their number one fear, you, you heard the different things say, is... Um, uh, you, you're afraid of people, and they they don't want to speak in public. In fact, they they say people would rather run down a mall naked. I heard that once than speak in public. <laughs> oh and, wow! And then somebody somebody said that um, that somebody actually put death as number two speaking in public, and so they were actually more afraid of of public speaking than dying. And so I would say my awkward moment is probably. When I said to my son, and so this was December 26, 2013, and I was managing the Lowe's and my this all led to this awkward, you know, sort of feeling I ended up having is I quit and I came home and it was about two in the afternoon and Connor was 17 at the time. And he says, what are you doing home? And I said, I quit. And he goes, what do you mean you quit? And I said, I quit. He goes, you, you quit being a store manager at Lowe's? I said, yeah. And then he goes, well, what are you going to be now? And I said, well, I'm going to be a speaker. And he looks up from the couch and he goes, well, that's just super dad. <laughs> and so I was taken a little aback and he goes, I have a question for you now. What are we going to do for food? And I said, well, that'll kind of work out. So the, the awkwardness, Andy, came out of the fact that uh, being a speaker yourself, you know, this is that I didn't realize nice, nice plan, Dave. But speaking, at least in the beginning, is not a full time job. You're not working right. eight to five Monday through Friday. Talk about an awkward moment. And I went, wait a second. Let's see. Maybe I should have done the speaking on the side and kept the job at Lowe's and kept working. So and now it's been about nine or 10 years. So it's worked out But oh, awkward would be a good way to put it. Hmm. Yeah,
1: I, I love that. And I am, I am laughing and I'm trying to not laugh to the point of interrupting you. So people who are uh, who are listening, you might not have picked up on how how funny this is to me because of the same scenario that's so relatable for me uh, because I have been on a similar journey where it's like, this is my thing now. It's like, wait, where's the income? Where's the gigs? Where's the... You know, when you get started, it's not like you just flip the light on and customers walk
0: in the door. Uh, well, and, it, and it's funny, too, because you, you and I had talked about that. I now remember that. And so as a result of not a full time job, hence the awkward moment for me, I had to drive Uber. I drove Lyft. I worked at Postmates delivering food. I went to the Seahawks Pro Shop and sold jerseys. And I still remember one time on Uber, can you? the lady goes, can you get my bags, put them in the trunk? And I go, sure. She goes, don't forget this bag over here. And I went, okay. She goes, can you get the door for me? And i went, look, you don't understand. I'm a very famous speaker. I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm called the gratitude guy. And I just kind of smile. yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Let me just get those in the back. Like I got right. the car the side. humbling, humbling. Right. Like, you don't know
1: who your Uber driver is, right? Now. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> if only you knew. It's like the reverse of when celebrities prank people. It's like the right. exactly. soon to be celebrity is your Uber driver right right so right, love right. That. So, uh, so i'm i'm really curious though um what was it that that really made you feel like you had to cold turkey quit the the day job and give up the income stream
0: and jump into speaking yeah that's a great question because looking back on it with the the benefit of 2020 hindsight as we know i think it just came down to i've actually had a very close friend and he he was the one that told me to get a gratitude journal. So he always says, did you mention my name in your talk yesterday? And I go, sometimes I do. But but he's the one that now later in the career here has said, David, you would never be as far along as if you hadn't quit everything together and put all the chips, even though I had to drive Uber and sell the Seahawk jerseys and all those things. And he is right. That's really true. But it would have been a little bit less stressful because- We have something, you know, called money and we need to pay for our rent or our mortgage and our food and our expenses and so forth. And so that really was true by going in all in. uh, I really developed something. And I don't I don't know if you and I talk about this, but one of the things that came out of that is all these different things. I did a gratitude journal, That Gratitude Guy's Daily Gratitude Journal. I've done five other books on gratitude. I do online courses. Uh, I do a couple of, um, I did my podcast, as you and I talked about too. Uh, there's been different things I've developed that I have merchandise it says That Gratitude Guy right here and all that kind of thing. So I developed about five or six other income streams. And maybe I wouldn't have done that if I had, you know, taken it slow because it was kind of forced to think, how can I make money other directions besides speaking? and doing courses and workshops. I've got a, a couple of workshops coming up for Boeing. I just did a talk for Microsoft, and those are more workshops, more than keynotes or big speeches and things. And, and those can be lucrative. So it really forced me to look at other ways to make money because let's face it, we do have to make money and and uh, it's it's part of the deal. And then it takes the stress off you when you're going out and doing your, living your dream, so to speak.
1: Yeah, I, I can see the value in that. And I, I really... It's that you know that chicken and the egg thing of okay, do I have the do I use the income to help spur my business along and keep the day job, or do I cut that off cold turkey? And then I have this asset that we overlook a lot of times as a big asset of our time. It's like, yeah, well, if I'm not in the day job, that gives me so much time to focus on my business and so much energy where I'm not wondering if the new ads are up and the the end caps are flipped and whatever you need to do to get the store <laughs> ready and Hire people
0: for different departments for the season. Uh, So well, and then another thing, too, which I admit everybody went through this, but it was brutal for me was the pandemic, mm -hmm. because I remember it was March of 2020. I was doing a talk in Cincinnati and I was on the plane like everybody. The same thing has hit us about that March of 2020. And I came back and I'm on the plane. Why does everybody have a mask on? What's 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 (laughs) going on here? And then the pandemic went full time. So, But I lost, gosh, I've forgotten now, eight or 10 talks worth quite a bit of money that all canceled because nobody's yeah. in person. And they all said, we'll get back to you. Well, guess what? One got back to me and I lost like eight or of the nine or nine of the 10. And that was brutal because I was starting to get some pretty good fees. But but again, who didn't go through a tough time in the pandemic? So right. everybody went through that. But that was, that was right in the four or five year mark for me, where I was just getting the momentum and finally starting to charge some decent fees. But as you know, and anybody that's a speaker knows how you get those fees up to a decent level is just time in the saddle and just talk after talk and I've said I have a used to have it over there in Excel spreadsheet I think I've done 850 talks I'd say 700 of them were free Wow! so it's just you just have to do and it was Rotary and Chambers and Lions and Qantas I did a prison one schools hospitals you know so but that's just that's what you have to do to get Mm -hmm. started get your name out there and hone your craft if you will yeah, yeah.
1: Someone was telling me that I think was it Zig Ziglar who spent 20 years talking to churches, you know, before yeah. he got out there and just really putting in the time. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, stuck on myself enough to think that I can beat that. But at the same
0: time, like, I don't know if I have the patience for 20 years. <laughs> you know, these thoughts. Oh, well, it's and true. And and but, this has been attributed to different people. The last one I heard was Bob Seeger from the Silver Bullet Band, but he said okay. I spent 25 years to become an overnight success right you know yeah. so it's, it just it does take time and things and and i and there's little things along the way and i'm sure you've had this happen to you andy but uh when before the pandemic and and going down to a, this club i was part of down called columbia tower club and stuff and in starbucks and i'd be in starbucks and people go you're that gratitude guy i've seen you speak <laughs> before and of yeah. course if i was with my friends i, I they just I'll go they just roll their eyes and just go oh. Well, I'm just like a little mini celebrity, just getting known, but, but it does, it does. I don't know if there's any other substitute for it, like any cliff notes. It just takes time.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I'm curious back to that conversation with your son, like, you know, you share this with them, you, Hey, we're, I'm changing our, our worlds. Cause as a father choices that you make affect, you know, your kids, especially when they're still at home and, you know, you can't just say, well, I've made this change in my life and, you know, go get a job to feed yourself. Right. so how did that, how did that go the next year? Like, was it, oh, I'm on board, dad. Let me help you put up flyers. Well, he's, good luck.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I don't think anybody's asked me that before. And that's a great question because I am extremely close to him and I watched him being born. my older son, I adopted when he was and I met him when he was two. And then Dana, as I mentioned, passed away. But having watched Connor being born and nurturing him and then from the age of four and a half when she passed away, raising him, he and I have always been, I'm very close to my older son, Kyle, but my younger son, Connor is, I, again, I watched him being born. So he was always, I have to say, extremely supportive. And it was just, it was really neat, even though we had that kind of flippant answer back then, because uh, I was making good money. And you know that because you and I talked about retail experience and yeah. you don't mind some of the pressure and the visits and the walks. and things. <laughs> right. You can You can make pretty good money. But I think the best thing is, is because we communicated so well, he knew what it meant to me and I told him and and the backstory is on it that I didn't mention, but this is why it's so powerful for me is that, I was 19 years old and I was a freshman at the University of Washington. I graduated from Queen Anne High School in Seattle. And this teacher asked me to come out and do a talk for his students at Ingram High School in 1969. And so I went out and I did the talk and it was about how to be successful as a business class or something. And It was half hour and I'm 19 years old, as I mentioned. And I went and sat in my car and I thought, that's what I want to be someday as a motivational speaker. And that was in 1969 and they didn't start until 2013. So I think it's like 43 years or something. (laughs) And it always had been in the back of my mind. And I thought, like a lot of us, and I feel bad for people because I coach people. And that's another thing I thought I forgot to mention about income is I coach a lot of people. So having coaching clients can make good money too, which it was again, I hadn't thought of that in the beginning. But what was interesting to me is I've met a ton of people that never lived their dream. And I think it's so sad. Well, I always wanted to be this when I grew up. I wanted to be this. I I just, and then family, things got in the way. I got married. I had kids. I did this. And I think it's so sad. So I remember thinking, I don't want to be one of those people. And so I think not only was Connor supportive and Kyle too, but I think he also saw, gosh, my dad's setting a good example, as we said earlier, about he's living his dream. And yes, it's going to be tough, but it's, it's, there's something about, I've said, and I know you experienced this too that number one, at least once or twice a week, I get some note, card, letter, comment on my videos or something that says, you changed my life. And just nothing at Nordstrom, nothing at Lowe's, nothing in those other jobs I had can come close to that. And I think when I walk off a stage and I'd say half the time, I get a standing ovation and I have them doing all these exercises and they're very interactive and involved. And I walk back to my book table and I go, I think I'm the luckiest guy in the world because Mm -hmm. you're impacting these people. So I think Coming way back to your question, I think Connor really understood how important that was to me. And yes, it was going to be a tough challenge. But at the same time, now looking back on it, obviously, I'm so glad I did it. But there there were some times, Andy, I must be totally candid. I look in the mirror and go, do you have any idea of what you're doing? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but you got to battle through that.
1: Well, I guess. And that's a question because I, I know the moments I've had. And, and as I'm thinking of that, I, I'm wondering... Were there times where you were just ready to say, you know, I I should go back into
0: the world I was in before and get the big check and not be responsible? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing about it. One of my favorite things I tell both my sons, and I'm very blessed to have these two rock star sons, as I mentioned, I said, I'm never going to tell you what to do. But I'm always going to tell you here's the plus and minuses on your left decision, and here's your pluses and minuses on your right decision. Mm-hmm. And then you make the decision. So I think, like anything else, there would be days where I think, oh, that big check every other Friday, 401k, That's a K-2K, right? K-2K, Security." K-2K. Security. <laughs> Gosh, all those things. And, oh, but you had to go out on your own and you had to be your own person and stuff. But it's, so I don't think anybody, in fact, I thought this was really interesting. They had a, it was a podcast because I love podcasts. And you and I talked about that when we met. One of the ones I was on recently and they'd done a, they'd surveyed or had talked to a whole bunch of CEOs, very successful CEOs. And the number one common thread through all of them was that they never gave up and that they blasted past the self-doubt Mm. self-doubt is like that little devil on your shoulder going, you know, you need to bag it. This is not working. You know, the angels over here saying, no, it's going to pay off. This is going to be fun. You're going to impact lives. And but that devil can can sometimes win. And we better go back to the safety and security. And and it's too bad because I'll, I'll tell you something that just pops into my mind. This is why I think it's so sad in many ways is I had a friend that worked at Boeing for years. This always left such an impression on me. And this was literally true. This is no exaggeration. They would have somebody that would retire and they would take the little retirement notice, Fred Smith, left wing assembly, and they put it on the bulletin board and in the drawer, they pin it up there. They'd have a yarn and they'd yarn about two or three feet over. And then three months later would be the obituary. Oh God. Because they'd lost their purpose. Wow. No friends. They used to have all those friends making those left wing assemblies. I said, no, no, no. You mean three months or I mean, you mean three years. She said, no, no, no. Three months happened all the time. So I think when you're one of my modules that I talk about is find yourself, find your talent, find your passion, find your purpose. And my whole concept is I contend for David Brooke or Andy Vargo. It's the most important relationship is one you have with yourself and you can have your spiritual relationship too, but that's so important. Then figure out what your talent is. And for me, I tell people, if the person's five foot one, and 150 pounds, they're probably not going to be a quarterback, but maybe they can be a jockey at the racetrack or something like that. So okay. make your make your talent something you can relate to. And the thing I always say is make your strengths productive, make your weaknesses irrelevant. And I can go down and speak to 10,000 soldiers at Joint Base Lewis McCord, but I can't draw a circle to save my life. Right. And so I'm not going to go take an art class. You know, it doesn't make right. sense. And the next is the third thing is find what you're passionate about. And that's that thing like me. What did you want to be when you grew up? I was 19. And what did did you never get a chance to do? Because it wasn't good money or wasn't any of those things you always dreamed of. And so if you get a connection with yourself, figure out your talent, figure out your passion, you'll probably find your purpose. And gosh, I think people are hardwired to find their purpose. And I read something recently that people that have a purpose live seven to 15 years longer than people that don't have a purpose wow so i just i, I think there's i some, believe it yeah so it's some things like that around that that are really cool yeah and
1: i i think that you know there's it's it's really sad to me when i see people who can't identify a purpose and and i was in that space for a long time like i there were parts of my life that i had purpose like i i wanted to be a good father i wanted to be a good role model to my kids but as far as like for myself what is that i want to mm-hmm. do and i could I, I knew that I wanted to be an author and, and a speaker as a kid, but I didn't see that as a career choice. Mm -hmm. And I I didn't see that as an option. It wasn't on the list at career day. of like, these are the things you can be. So it just was out of my head. And every time I saw a speaker, it was always, um, there was some horrific story tied to their life. And Mm -hmm. I "I want to live that life. I don't want to go through that to do this and who's going to listen to my story. So you know, now that I have found something that I'm excited about and passionate about, it's it just it changes everything. And when I think about people that it's like, oh, gosh, I'm sorry you can't find that purpose. That's how I feel about myself in the past. I look back and it's like, yeah, that guy was wandering around lost in the desert. Like someone needed to just shake him and exactly. go. there's a point. But but that time in the desert was kind of what I needed in order to have the story that I can now tell. Exactly.
0: And then it's interesting, too. And we've compared notes on this a little bit. Back at the book table, 90% of the comments have to do with the stories I tell. I love the story about Connor and baseball. I love the one you had about the $20 bill. I loved how you said, and it's not the other concepts, it's the stories. But as a result of me waiting until 2013, I was 63 when I quit Lowe's and started. And gosh, I think my heroes were Colonel Sanders. He started KFC at 63. Yeah. Uh, JC Penny, Mary Kay Ash, um, drawn a couple. There's two or three others that were in the late. 50s, early, early to late 50s that started it. John Hausman was an actor who won an award, Academy Award at 71 and started acting at like 65. So those are people that really inspire me that it's never, ever too late to live your right. dream. And that's what I, people ask me about that. They say, oh, you're such an inspiration. And I said, well, don't forget, it does take some guts. And that's what you mentioned a little earlier is to step away from that check and all those venues, as you mentioned, it's mm-hmm. tough, but it's, yeah. it's worth it in the long run.
1: Yeah, and I love that you point that out. I use the the Colonel Sanders example all the time of mm-hmm. yeah, of here's someone who, you know, what is he 67, 68 when he started his yeah. restaurant? Mm-hmm. Five years later he sells it for he's a millionaire. Exactly and because he realized he needed to repurpose. And and it was because life changed around him. They put in highways and took out, you know, his his customer base. And so we can hem and haul all we want about, you know, our our life changing, our you know, people leaving us, our income stream going away, whatever it is. But yeah, you might be right about whether or not it was an injustice or something
0: happening out of your control. But the only thing you can control is what you're doing to move forward. Right. And then the other side of it, too, is the other end of purpose. And that is people like Joe Paterno, who got in trouble at Penn State, dies six months later. Andy Rooney did his last talk on 60 Minutes, and he was getting up there a little bit aged. And like three or four months later, he was dead. Bear Bryant had like four or five championships at Alabama. He finally retires. He wasn't all that old. A year later, he was dead. And wow. so what was taken away from all these is their purpose. And, mm-hmm. I just, and I think it's interesting because at my age now, and I plan to work in the late into my 70s, 80s, maybe even 90s, because I enjoy it so much. Right. What's I have a lot of friends that it's golfing and it's going to Starbucks and things, and that's fine. But I think it can be problematic. And I think when you have that, when you take away that purpose boy, that's a tough thing. Cause when you think about every day I, today I got, I've had my list I'm going to be talking to Andy on the podcast. I'm gonna do this, this, I have a whole full schedule and that having that purpose, I think really helps keep this brain engaged. And I know at my age, I've really learned, I mean, taking care of this, I mentioned, I walk all these miles every day, this body, but this one is almost more important to take care of. And how do you keep that those neurons and everything firing in your brain too? Yeah, it's a challenge and it's, it,
1: it, it's all about learning new stuff and keeping something in front of you. But like you said, you have to have that purpose. And and that purpose doesn't necessarily have to be your career. Maybe it's your involvement right. in your church or your organization or your family. But whatever it is, you have to be passionate about it. And that has to give you a drive so that you wake up and you think, this is what I'm doing today. I'm I'm spending time with loved ones. I'm mm-hmm. feeding, feeding homeless people, whatever that thing is that, that your drive is.
0: Yeah, so true. So true. Yeah, that's God.
1: good. So, um, so you like you said you have developed a lot of stuff. You had not just that downtime of, oh, I'm not just going to Uber, but I've got to create the books. I've got to mm-hmm. got to get all the stuff out there. I love that because you know I feel like when you when you have a business like what we have, it's it's not like it's not unlike going to the grocery store where it's okay. Well, I've got all the different aisles I can shop down here. Is my commodities? Mm-hmm. Here's my high ticket items. Here's the things that are impulse items at the checkout, and maybe that's the book. Um, how how did you uh, decide kind of where what's most important was that something you just decided here's my borg of items and i'm going to create all this stuff or were there needs that came up along the way well
0: that's that's another good question and i think that what's interesting is i'd love to sit and say i had some grand plan and i had a business plan all laid out but maybe like other people too it really wasn't that way a lot of it was just born out of like the talks and then i think i remember when i did this i held this up earlier this gratitude journal this is the fourth iteration of it now i've changed it and made it better it has a has a template in it and it shows you where to write and what you write and what you're grateful for and the highlight of your day and these different things. And so that kind of became a natural. And I thought, Oh, wait a second. So then I'll do a gratitude journal. So that'll be an extra product to sell. And then a lot of companies will buy one for all the attendees, which is really nice. And then they did the different books. But for instance, I I forgot to mention it earlier as part of the online courses and, and the merchandise and things like that. And that was the coaching And where that came from is at the book table, people saying, I'd like to talk to you. Do you think you could help me And this whole idea? So that's how I got into coaching. It wasn't part of the plan. And I call it like a gratitude coaching clarifying consultation call so that I can help people infuse their life with gratitude and clarify some of the things that they need to be doing that they're trying to overcome pain points and, and so forth. And that's really enjoyable. So I've done the individual coaching and the group coaching. But again, that kind of came out of the talks. And what I think is interesting, and this is where the pandemic, of course, was challenging as it was for all of us, but... Really, the actual in-person talks, I get the people that want to be coached, they buy the books, they want to talk about online courses, they want to tell have me come and talk to their company, their place, if they want to know, or they want to get together and talk about other possibilities. Do you think you could help me become a speaker? Whatever it might be. So that's why, like all of us, where the pandemic has kind of subsided, I'm just so happy to be back in person again. But a lot of those just came out of just opportunities more than some big grand plan. Right.
1: I love that you walk us through that process because people who who find you now or you know they see you and they go, Oh, look at all this stuff David has. He's he's that gratitude guy, and here's his whole package. And they picture someone at the beginning just writing out that business plan and saying, Well, I've right. got to check all these boxes, I gotta have all these things. But the reality is it develops over time and pretty soon you wake up and you're like, I have this this offering and this this brand and this company. That that is a
0: force by itself. And it's, it's such a good point because you also just have to be open to the opportunity. And mm-hmm. another one, I can't believe I didn't mention it because I'm now monetized, but it took me literally 16 years as YouTube. And wow. I did my first video. And like, even before this 2006, I hadn't even been speaking, but I just did a video on something. And it, I only got monetized about a year ago, but now I have almost 2000 videos on YouTube so it's it's a big it's a big difference maker if you will and I typically do a gratitude walk every day and I do a Monday morning minute and then sometimes I do videos throughout the week so but that was another one that I didn't realize that at some point I could monetize it but I just kept thinking I want to do videos and then realize oh I could make money doing this too so that's another one that has been very helpful in terms of the the income part of the model
1: yeah I, I love that and that the fact that it that you call out that it's a, it's a 16-year process. It might not be for everybody. It might be five. It might be 10. It might be 20. But, it, you know, we create this content and we put it out there. And, and I have tended to have moments where I don't make something for a week or two or two months, depending on, you know, how I'm doing and what I get distracted by. And I, I used to think, oh, I, I stopped doing that. Now it's over. I'm not a YouTube guy anymore. I'm not this. But I forget that all of the content is still there. So, you know, you create a thousand videos and you walk away from, from it for a little bit. Well, you come back and you make another one. Now you have a thousand and one and a thousand and two. And that base is still always there.
0: And it's so important too I, I've always loved the analogy of falling off the horse is the most important thing is to get back on so if you haven't done videos for a while no time like today start doing them again as an example and it's just it, it just shocks me because I remember I actually framed it it's over here somewhere where when it said you are now a YouTube partner and after so many videos and I now have I don't know three or four thousand subscribers something like that but I remember when there was just one or two and it started out and but you read and not read but you watch enough YouTube YouTube videos you can do how to fix a screwdriver on a you know a screw head or something i mean the, everything you want is on youtube so you write in there how to become a good youtube thing the number one thing they say is consistency yeah so you're doing it over time and that that's the thing so they see andy all the time they see david they see whatever and so that i've been pretty good at but it's because there's days you know i don't really feel like doing a video you know right. And then I get this other, speaking of YouTube, this is just part of the, you have some audiences that love you, some don't love you, some clap, and some give me a standing ovation, some just give polite golf applause, you know? (laughs) Right. And, and, but I have like on a typical daily gratitude walk, I'll get 300, 300 or 400 views. And then tomorrow I'll do the daily gratitude walk, maybe like 30 views. Right. (laughs) Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And we make the
1: mistake of, of judging our success or our our movement forward based on the last thing that we had. Right. I know. Oh, well now I'm at 300 views. So they should all be 300. Then you get 10. You're like, what happened? Was I canceled? What just happened to me?
0: Well, and it's true. And that's actually a good, I'd call that metaphor, but a good example for, part of YouTube is the content. Part of it is a very important part is the thumbnail. That's like the movie poster and then the actual title and then the description that you put in there. And then of course the content and then the three to four minute video is kind of the sweet spot. I do shorts every day on the gratitude uh, walk and that's 59 seconds or less. And those are, that's the short little deal. But there's something like, if you see, if I send you a video and you see the first thing you're going to do like me is look in the right hand corner, say, you got to Watch this video, and it says thirty nine fourteen. I don't have forty minutes. I'm really busy. <laughs> right, but if it says six oh three or something, you'll watch it. So yeah. the time, but all those things are are different things. And just when I think I've got it right, I'll I'll do another video, and there's eleven views. I go whatever. I give up. Yeah. Well, before we uh, get too far away, you know, coming
1: back to that coping with awkward and, and owning it. Yes. I, I'm really curious how that. How that felt, like when you're, when you had that conversation with your son and, and, you know, and you said he was really supportive, Mm -hmm. did you feel like, like, I, was there an element of not letting him down or of, of I, or not wanting to be a failure because of the people around you? Or was this, this is something I have to do no matter what?
0: Yeah, I think, it, honestly, it was probably a combination of both. I remember uh, I've always been a very decisive person. So once you make a decision, don't be indecisive. Nobody likes an indecisive person. And I've always been very, uh, very decisive. And I remember I had a teacher that was business communication in college. And it was such a it was just this shocking, sad thing. But I always remember this on Friday. He said I'm going there Thursday. He said I'm going in for surgery tomorrow. I'll be recouping over two or three days. and I'll be back on Monday. And uh, William, gosh, Harper, I want to say his name was, it would have been 1972 or something like that. Anyway, and then Monday we go to class and somebody walks in and said, sorry, he died on surgery. And I just went, wow. And, but I just remember the reason I bring it up is because this stuck with me since 1972. He says, be a decisive person, make a decision. If it's a good decision, fantastic. If it's a bad decision, make another decision Hmm. to correct it. And it seems so simple, but it was so good, but don't be indecisive. So I think reason for bringing that up is that I remember thinking I had many times of self-doubt. I wonder if this is going to work, but I've described it as something about having this little candle burning in the back of my brain somewhere that's that's flickered, but never gone out saying this is going to work. And that delivering this message, and especially once I get into gratitude and knowing how much you can help people by showing them there's this wonderful mindset called the gratitude mindset. And then these positive comments I get that literally get me choked up and you changed my life and all that all you know throughout the week and I think how did I get so lucky so I think knowing that that was always there it kept me going through even when self-doubt raises this ugly head and and you ask yourself if you know what you're doing so I I think but that comment about just make another decision to correct your earlier decision is so important and uh, William Peck was his name and uh, I always remember that and that was 1972 but it's just funny on professors and mentors and things can impact you
1: definitely. And I love that, that it gives you freedom to make a decision and not be chained to that always being like, do I have to make the right decision? It's not the only decision you're ever going to make in your life. And if it doesn't go the way you want, like you said, make another decision and move on.
0: Yeah, that was very, very helpful.
1: Very. So before we go, I'm going to ask you how we can challenge people to own their awkward. But before we step into that, uh, For all of our listeners and viewers, we have the links to your social media and website in the description. So please click on that and follow it. But what's the best way for people to support you?
0: Well, the best way is the, you can reach me at thatgratitudeguide.com. That's my website. And then for people that like to, uh, the link will be in there is I send out a Monday morning minute, and I'm trying to think if I put the link in there, but it's every Monday is a video. And if you. If there's a place to sign up for it, I'm pretty sure there is. But if there isn't, you can reach me at david at thatgratitudeguy.com. And I'm happy to talk to anybody. I always offer consultations and clarifying calls for people that might be interested. So that's something that a lot of people take advantage of. A 30-minute call, sometimes 40 minutes, just to get an understanding of where you are and how gratitude can kind of help you. And, and then maybe the biggest thing of all, and I think the link was in there, is to get a gratitude journal. And yes, you can get a spiral notebook, but when you have something like this, it has the template. And I tell people, there's a little saying in the front of the book that says, if you think about it, it's like a dream. If you talk about it, it inspires you. But if you write about it, it empowers you. And there's something about every now tomorrow. I have it'll have the highlighted day. One of my highlights tomorrow will be I'm so grateful, Dandy Vargo, for inviting me to his podcast. You know, so you'll be in the book. So, wow. you know that. and it's just so cool. And then, but that writing it plants it in your brain. Yeah. And I tell people is kind of a. One of my favorite takeaways. Well, if you if you heard anything I said, let me leave you with this about what gratitude can do for you. Every day, if you can write in a gratitude journal, fantastic. If you can write a sentence, but even if you can just write one word for a week, what are you grateful for? Just one word. Try right. it for a week and see what that'll do, and then try a sentence, and then a couple of sentences, and then this is literally five minutes. That's all it is every day. And it can change your mindset. So. Uh, any of those things are so helpful. And it's, again, back to what we said at the beginning, it's such a great coping mechanism.
1: Yeah, I love that you call out actually writing it down because, you know, we know the power of that even just in note-taking or making a list. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I will think about things and I'll listen to a speaker, but if I am writing things to help me remember it, just writing it down, even if I never look at the notes again, even if I don't read them, it's cemented in my brain because I've tied that action to it. So flipping that and then applying it to gratitude and making sure that you write it down, it just is crucial. I'm so thankful you for that. You make part.
0: such a great point because I have my Andy Vargo notes right there uh-huh. with highlights on it on April 11th, 2.30. On <laughs> your awkward. And you're right. But see, I took down some really good notes of things you said, which were really helpful. But also to your point, which I'm going to remember that too. But it also, as you're writing it, plants it here better in addition to have the reference for later. So really right. good point. Really good point.
1: Yeah. So you gave us that. Is there anything else you'd want to challenge people to, to be more grateful and own their awkward before we leave everybody today?
0: Well, I think the neat thing about when I first met you and own your own awkward is understand that you're not alone. I mean, I think we all think when when Dana passed away, I'd never I'd heard of a support group, but I never had gone to one. And so. Gosh, what a lifesaver. And I went two weeks after she passed away. And everybody feels, in this case, awkward. They feel alone. They feel like they're the only person in the world that's suffering. And you would watch these people, usually there's about 15 or 20 people, go around in a circle. And I can remember, David, would you like to go ahead? Yes. My name is David Brook. My wife, Dana, died September 29th, 1998. We have two sons. Kyle is 14, Connor is four. Uh, I'm devastated. I can't. I'm going to start crying right now. I don't even think I can talk about it. But then every week it got better. So, whether it's only your own awkward, whether it's dealing with something else, 99.9% of the time, somebody else has gone through the same thing. So you're not alone. And what I offer is, number one, to make sure that you just get have support people around you that can help you to see that. And, you know, make sure that they're the kind of people that would lift you up like the rising tide, all boats, and then also try the gratitude journal. And if you invest just one word, you're always gonna have something to focus on. And I've been in talks before Andy, where people have said, I have a question on zoom too. I just lost my best friend. What do I have to be grateful for? And I said, well, you're going to, you're going to, you know, heal from that. It takes time times the great healer, but I said, but even so, um, I'm sorry he's passed away, but you do have breath that you have. You have a warm bed tonight. You have a hot shower that you got to take today. You have food in the fridge. There's always going to be things and you'll get through this too, but there's always something. And that's why it's just neat in the journal. And then plus you can go back and see what you've written. So I just highly recommend the gratitude journal. It's so important. And to remember you're not alone. And I think that would really help when you're going through some of those awkward moments. Yeah, that
1: is is beautiful. David, you have given us so many good highlights of inspiration and ways to not just cope, but to thrive today. I really am so thankful for for knowing you, for having you in my life now, and for everything you've been willing to share today. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. It's been my pleasure. And everyone else, be sure that you check out the links, grab your gratitude guide, and start filling it in. Like David said, even one word will make a huge difference. And as always, own your awkward. Thank you so much for listening in for today's show. Be sure to visit awkwardcareer.com to continue your journey. And of course, please like, subscribe, and share with your friends so they can find their awkward side and learn how to own it.